Hey nerdlings, this is Sarah Ashley. If I may interrupt your podcast listening for just a minute, I would really like to talk to you guys about Nerdonomy.com. That's our website. If you guys haven't been to it already, you should really go check it out. We have a page where you can just meet the nerds. We have a blog where we have all of our original content that we write when we're not recording. And we also have listener feedback. So if you guys really want to go ahead and talk to us, see what we have to offer, or even maybe make a nice healthy donation at our merch station, then you can please do so at Nerdonomy.com. All right, and now enjoy your podcast. You're listening to Nerds on Film with Brian Moriarty, David McGuire, Sarah Ashley, and Kevin Satorius. So let me ask you, dude, which of the lowest lanes would you sleep with? Which of the lowest lanes would I not sleep with is probably a better question. Okay. (laughs) All right. So, sounds like then you need. You to want me to list. like put them in order? Sure, that probably. Like be which one I would sleep with yeah. first? Go ahead. Okay, uh, let's go with late seventies, early eighties, Margot Kidder. Okay, just because she is nuts, and girls that are nuts are nuts in the bedroom. I know this for a fact. I've done my research. Okay, then who would be next? Uh, right after that, probably Terry Hatcher, and then Kate Bosworth, and then actually no, you know what? Kate Bosworth would be tied with the chick from. Uh, from the Jors Reeves series, but I can't remember her name. What's her name? Uh, well, there Mister. was. I can't remember for sure either, but I know. I think there were two. I know one of them for sure was Phyllis Coates, uh-huh. and one was Noel Neal. And one of those two was also the Lois Lane from the movie serials. I just can't remember which one it was. Huh? No, I can't remember either. I'm not good with the names. With okay, so well, let me do my my list. Okay, since you're doing a list, I'm going to do a list. Yeah, I know. Give me your list. Number one, Terry Hatcher. Number one's Terry Hatcher. Number two, Erica Wait, Dur- wait, wait. Whoa, 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 whoa. Explain. What's there to explain? She's. I'm the one asking the questions now. You could have asked me explain for each one of mine. was the lowest lane of my childhood, dude. Like when. Yeah, that's right. We watched that every single When Sunday. I started realizing, oh, I can have sex with that. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, possible? It's possible? It's not actually possible. That's right. For you to women? nail one of the desperate Then immediately, Brian. it started, I started, you know, it. Terry Hatcher. And if Terry Hatcher ever listens to this episode, I am so sorry because this is totally creepy. But no, it's true. Like, she was one of the first celebrities, I think, that I was able to be attracted to. Um, and I mentioned this in another podcast, too. But um, a, a close second is Erica Durancy, who is Lois Lane on Smallville. Oh, that's right. Oh, I totally forgot about her. All right, I'm sorry. I gotta redo my list. She <laughs> goes right underneath crazy nut job Margot Kidder. And then, right after that, Terry Hatcher. Now Terry Hatcher's moved down to three. And she's your number one. And uh, so, as I said, Hatcher, Durancey, Bosworth would be number three for me. Bosworth? Okay. She's so skinny, though. I'd feel like I'd break her. Eh, maybe. Um, (laughs) If you were Superman, you would break her, more than likely. Yeah, um, I know. They never explained that, did they? No, they never did. That never happened. One of the many flaws with Superman Returns. Well, no, no. They also did it in Superman 2, and they never explained it either. So, um, okay, so moving on. From there, I would probably say it would have to be, well, if we're including the the yet-to-be-released Superman, Amy Adams would definitely be on that list as well. Uh, Like, enchanted Amy Adams, but not... She doesn't look as good as she has in previous films. I don't really care about that so much. And then probably be, not to sound ageist, but I would probably put the old Lois Lanes down at the bottom. But assuming that they were in their heyday, I would still say that, because culturally there's a big enough gap where I don't think that would actually work in any way. I don't think there's any way where there would be any sort of attraction where I could do that. Yeah, I see. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Well, with that, welcome to Nerds on Film. That's right. Welcome to Nerds on Film. I am your solo host, Brian Moriarty. Well, not really solo, because tuning in from Colorado is, of course, our editor, and also um, my nemesis, uh, <laughs> <laughs> my genetic nemesis, Sean Moriarty. It's true. Not nemesis in the sense of enemies. One. Nemesis in the sense that we are we're very opposite in many ways, but also very similar in many ways too. Well, you'll see from the Twitter picture, we're both wearing Superman T-shirts right now. Yeah. Um, so yep. I, guess, I guess you can wonder what our topic is tonight, folks. But before we launch into the topic, I would like to read a little, a quick little piece of listener feedback. Uh, this is from Stephen, who recently liked both our podcasts on the Facebook pages and submitted really nice feedback 
for uh, the History Podcast, but he also sent us personal feedback from the Film Podcast, too. And this is through the Listener Feedback button, and the subject says, You made me shoot Earl Grey tea out my nose. Ellipsis, you utter bastards. (laughs) The message reads, Seriously, Episode 7, 8, and 9 made me spring tea with the image of the Wookiee Jedi. That was when I was talking about the Chewbacca with the, uh, I remember. the double blade. Yeah. <laughs> That's so the sweet. Uh, for those that are so inclined, you really should check out the Expanded Universe. Some of the story arcs are pretty damn good. Thank you. Very nice and quick little short. Stephen, thank you again so much. We shouted you out on the History Podcast, and you deserve this shout-out on the film podcast as well. But we wanted to save this to a place where profanity would be more acceptable. So thank you, dude. We're, we're very happy that you were one of our new loyal listeners, and we look forward to hearing from you again in the future. Thanks, Stephen. And also, I agree, the expanded universe, if he's talking about like the novels and the and the RPG video games and everything and all the different... Oh, it's fantastic. Uh, yeah. Star Wars material, it's all really good. It's really well written. Like I, The thing is, is I don't play RPG-style games, but I remember when you got Knights of the Old Republic, oh, yeah. I had more fun just sitting and watching you play it and watching the cinemas in it and going, oh, this is awesome! Than I, I did actually playing it. That's how good it is. Well, the great thing about it, too, is that you were able to choose your own kind of adventure. You could say one of three things when you were talking to somebody, and the way you said something would lead the conversation. Yeah, you could be and dark. You could be, you could be. You could go totally dark side. You could be light. You could be, uh, or you could be right in the middle, you which right I think you tried to do once <laughs> just to see if you could well, do it. Was I didn't be quite right in the get middle. it. I didn't quite get that certain things you do would learn earn you dark side or light side points. Once I figured that out, then I stuck very close to light side. But then there was one one, just to see what would happen, because like you could get a certain point where you'd be mostly light, and earning dark side points wouldn't knock you down that much. But yeah. it depends on what you did, because there was one where I chose to kill one of my characters, just to see what would happen. And that act alone pushed me all the way dark, because there's like a Damn. spectrum. There's like a spectrum. It's yeah, like, I remember seeing the spectrum. They show yeah. you the little, it's like in your, yeah. So you can kind of see where you are along that spectrum. And I went from pretty much near the top blue where even there's like this flurry of blue energy coming out of your model to full-on red at that point so pretty crazy anyway it was a fun fun game but i actually i enjoyed jedi academy much more than because that was more the game the the battles were much more in the moment you didn't have to queue up actions so i I, I also just watched somebody play that game i still i've never played these games but i just watch people play them jedi jedi academy and it's still awesome you can get that for 20 bucks on your mac from the mac app store now oh well I know what I'm doing after this. Thank yeah, you. Absolutely. All right. Well, Brian, let's start out by saying, asking, why is June 14th the most important day of the summer? Well, it's um, our buddy Eric's birthday for number one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to be thrilled. <laughs> I only say that because I'm in Colorado and he can't give me a Vulcan nerve pinch and put me um, on the ground. It will also be the 17th anniversary of the release of The Cable Guy starring Jim Carrey. I know. I was about. Oh, you stole my thing. I was going to say that. And the only reason I remember that is because of the finale of SNL that year. In his yeah. monologue, he mentioned Opening June 14th like three times. Yeah, he yeah. did. <laughs> he did. That being said, actually, June 14th is really important because on June 14th, 1938, a certain character made a debut that would change the world. Yes, it would. We're talking, of course, about Adolf Hitler. Um, no, 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 wow! No, no, I'm <laughs> awesome. Uh, I'm, I'm kidding. He made his debut with the Reichstag, uh, and then it all went downhill from there. No, um, um, no, that's not true. Hitler was way in power many, many years earlier than that. Uh, Superman, quite the polar opposite, actually. Superman yes, made his debut actually. in Action Comics number one. You know what this just made me think of is Super Hitler. Super? No, dear God, Super no. Hitler. I hope this incident hasn't turned you all off of flying. <laughs> Statistically, it is still the safest way to travel. Have a nice evening. Have a nice evening. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. God, if Superman was German. <laughs> oh, wow. That would, have, that would have totally effed up so many lives. No. So, But uh, more importantly, why is that relevant? Because June 14th, 2013, the 75th anniversary of his debut is also... The premiere date for Man of Steel, yes. the new Superman movie. I'm sure not a lot of our listeners actually knew that that was the 75th anniversary and the relevance of the date. And if you did, call me a bastard, hit the listener feedback button, and just rip me a new one. I'm waiting for some hate mail. These guys have all gotten emails. I just want hate mail. Send hate mail to me. 
Sean Mo at nerdonomy.com. Careful what you wish for, sir. Just no, saying. I want it. I just want it. I just want any kind of mail, really, and I figure it was easier. <laughs> I figured it was easier to get a hate mail just so you feel relevant and that I'm, be, I'm part of the family. Shut the fuck up. What are you, Frankenstein? Right. I know. I could I'm not sorry. accomplish no, love, cool. which is my deepest hope. I would then cause fear. <laughs> to quote yeah, Mary I'm Shelley. like super, I'm super emo Robert De Niro Frankenstein. Right. Which is tr- more true to yeah. the, the Mary Shelley novel. I anyway. know. Yeah. So, well, where do you want to start? Because, I mean, do you want to ask me questions? Do you want to go through it like we did with Batman, where we go through the earliest and the go latest? Th- um, let's go through and uh, from the beginning like we did with the Moborough Batman show and talk about exclusively things that were in theaters. So with the serials and then the uh, the movies from the late 70s and the early 80s yeah, well, and the then move on from there. The thing about Superman, unlike Batman, is that Superman really enjoyed a very multimedia existence prior to the major movies, unlike Batman, who Batman pretty much had one shot as a TV show and then eventually fell into the movies and TV shows in the 90s. So we've yep. actually seen Superman's been a constant in our culture since 1940s. Uh, yep. and, and there's a lot more to talk about, actually, than Batman. So we'll go through probably the early history pretty quickly, I would say. So the first thing is Superman's first live-action appearance wasn't even actually on a film. It was at a carnival. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. This is back in the early days. Superman had caught on so much that National Comics, which was DC's old name, had hired an actor to play Superman at a public appearance. It's pretty crazy. Wow. I actually don't know his name, unfortunately. I can tell you where you could find it, though. The book Superman, The Complete History by Les Daniels, book I got when I was about 14 years old, as you remember. Um, yep. I devoured that book. I spent hours. You know, you saw me. I spent days reading that book. Um, yeah, you were you were glued to that book. I couldn't get your head out of that book, no yeah. matter how hard I pulled. Yeah, and I don't mean days in like the hipster lingo. I mean days like I literally spent days reading that book. So, yeah, not like oh, it's doing it for days. Exactly. Yeah, not like no that. actual days. Actual days where I did not leave yeah. my bedroom. <laughs> I would carry it around the house with me. And he was also the first blonde and only blonde actor to play Superman because they weren't super it's the only blonde guy. Yeah, and they weren't super concerned about continuity at that point. And he looked Superman very close. would just look like. Superman would just look like a second-rate Aquaman if he was blonde. That's true. And he actually had the same, um, very close to the early costume. So where he had, like, the, the Olympian-looking, like, thong boots and, like, the triangle. There was not the pentagonal shield like we're used to seeing now. So it was very, very old school with the design. By about the mid to late 40s, you start to see Superman develop into the costume that we're more used to with the pentagonal shield, with the, you know, of course, everyone remembers the red and blue tights. And Superman had been on the radio at this point for a while. Bud Collier was the voice of Superman for years, from, like, the original radio serials all the way up, I think, until um, Super Powers Team in the 1980s. Like, no joke. He was on. He was Superman for, like, 40 years. He was he was on for a long wow. time. Yeah. As is the case. I mean, Casey Kasem's still the voice of Shaggy on Scooby-Doo. So, you know, it, it just works out that way. When was Superman first on film? Like, when... When was he first? Was it a serial? Serial first, and then there was a movie, right? Yeah. There was a group of serials that was eventually compiled into a film, I believe. What I'm seeing here from um, from Wikipedia is Adam Man versus Superman. And that and I didn't need the Wikipedia to, to know this, but Kirk Allen was the first actor to play Superman. Kirk Allen. Kirk Allen. It was, yeah. Let's see who some of the cast members were. Oh, here we go. So, Noel Neal. So I was the first Lois Lane on film. There you yep. have it. And I think Noel yep. Neal had also done the voice on the t- on the radio show too. I could really. Be, I, I think. I think. I could be wrong. We're not focusing too much on radio, so I, I you know correct me if I'm wrong there all, all you want. And this is also one of the first times we see Lex Luthor on film too. He is the Adam Man in question. So um, really? and basically what you have here is you set the format for what will become. The template for a lot of other Superman movies because was he uh, was he bald? He was bald. Or no, he, he was, was bald. bald. He was bald, and he invents a number of weapons that plague Metropolis, and Superman has to fight them. Sounds very reminiscent of uh, of the Superman that we see in the nineties. When yeah, we, I gotta yeah. watch that. Yeah, Can you get it on Netflix yet? Do you know if is any Superman stuff on Netflix? Um, I don't know. DC and Warner Brothers have a tendency to pull those properties right before a major film comes out that's related to that content so we're not yeah. sure but you can definitely get them on uh i believe on on dvd and blu-ray probably more like dvd because the quality is not good enough to be on blu-ray a lot of these elements that come from this serial 
find their way into later Superman movies. First of all, you've got Luther having all these virtually limitless resources to build devices yeah. to kill Superman, which implies he's a billionaire or a wealthy person of some kind, or just a, cr- a career criminal who's stolen all the money that he needs to build these things. <laughs> you also see uh, a synthesized form of kryptonite that was used to weaken wow. Superman. I don't Cri- think... Have they... Have they done that before? I mean, they always seem to find it in a piece of, of meteorite that falls to Earth, but That's how often do they the actually try to synthesize it? How do they, how do they create well, something? You know what the actual reason why they invented kryptonite? So kryptonite has an has a interesting history because it first... I know why they invented kryptonite. Basically, just because they're like, all right, this guy's not interesting enough if he's just completely invincible. We have to give him something or else he's not a great character to watch or actually, listen to. Actually, no, believe it or not. It was far really? more. It was far more utilitarian than that. There was originally in the short story that she, uh, that Schuster and Siegel. I'm referring to, of course, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, the creators of Superman. They yes. wrote their short story, Reign of the Supermen, which was an uh, Superman as a villain, and he looked much more Lex Luthor like, actually. Hmm. But and he bald, we, bald, bald, aged. bald. He, he was in like this chair. He wasn't bald he was, as hell. Yeah. So his weakness was a thing called K-Metal, K-Metal. And then when they wrote Superman the character and to the hero we know today, it was just kind of in the back of their minds. But what actually happened is it was first invented on the radio show because Bud Collier needed to take a vacation. And they had to find a way of writing Superman out while not canceling the show. So they said, well, what if we have something that weakens him so that he's unconscious for long periods of time? So they literally, that's what it was. So that's how they wrote Kryptonite in. And it was such a popular idea that they eventually worked into the comic books and then, of course, the films from there. Wow. So that wasn't in the comics first. They worked that. That's the nope. first case you see of something from a comic book character. Being influenced by other media forms, absolutely. Being influenced by other media forms. Because nowadays, that's, that's what they do. Is as soon as a movie comes out, you can tell that the artists are being pushed to draw them closer to how they looked in the movies at least for like a year or two when you're talking about that you're referring to like x-men right 1999 x-men or the x-men yeah uh they did it with they did it with superman they made him look more like christopher reeve sure sure yeah they they they've played with it they do little tweaks here and there yeah i can see that other than kryptonite uh apparently there's a scene where superman is placed in a device a lever is pulled and the Man of Steel vanishes into the Empty Doom, which is basically... The Empty Doom? The Empty Doom, which sounds like what, like what, Sean? The Phantom Zone. Bingo. And, of course, which would be introduced as a concept in the 1950s. If anybody's Superman. wondering what the Phantom Zone is, in Superman 2, it's that weird rectangular piece of Diamond what looks thing. like glass floating through space <laughs> with three people smashing their faces up against it. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty much all there is to say about it. Though there was one thing that happened. Uh, they could never get the flying effect they wanted for Superman. And I think Were they doing that, wires? Nope, they did not do wires. So no, it wasn't wires. They did not do wires. Um, so what did they do? Did they just have like a platform he laid on that was colored, that was painted the same as the background or something? Nope. 2D cell animation for takeoffs oh, and landing. Oh, my God. Yeah. That sounds like so much work right now. We're so yeah. spoiled with computers now. Yeah. That sounds like a horrible, horrible, tedious job. So what it would do is, from long dis- distances, they would cut to a wide shot and have him take off with this. Because they also wanted to do the speed trail, too. So they would animate the speed trail with 2D animation. And then he would they either cut to him like landing, you know, him jumping from off camera, basically. From like a platform, like you're saying. That's right. That. You know what? I kind of remember seeing this. It was animation. It was just he turned into a cartoon. Yeah. And you know what's actually pretty interesting? I mean, we might want to change gears here, but I think Superman on film, just the story of seeing how they developed the flying technology in and of itself is, I mean, that alone is worth a documentary, I think. It's true. And like how, super, how Superman movies changed uh, flying special effects for movies forever. Yeah. I mean, now we just do it digitally, and that's what they're doing with the new one, and they've done uh, with Superman Returns. But before that, each Superman incarnation was breaking new ground with flying technology. In fact, actually, if you were to uh, watch the Superman the Movie original special edition DVD, and I'm sure it's probably somewhere on the Blu-ray as well, there is a whole featurette devoted to the flying technology that was just an experiment for just Superman the film. And we'll get to that later when we get to the 1978 Superman, because we got a little bit of ground to cover in between there. Yep, let's do that. Yeah. 
So Adaman versus Superman uh, was released on DVD in 2006, so I'm sure you can find it somewhere. Go to Amazon. Everybody does yeah. it. And All the know, cool kids are doing it. And coincidentally, do you remember which studio released the Batman serials, Sean? Yes, it was... Uh, oh, man, hold on. It wasn't Warner Brothers. It was not Warner Brothers, no. Give me a second. Give me a second. Put me on the clock. Uh... Metro Goldwyn Mayer. Wrong. Damn it. Columbia. Columbia Pictures. Oh, that's right. Columbia. Columbia Pictures. Columbia Pictures also released. Oh, I feel like such a douchebag now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it also turns out that Columbia released the Superman serials as well. Yes, they did. So, yeah. Uh, very cool. I'm just going to leave that alone because Kirk Allen, I believe there was a sequel. I, I don't know for sure, to be honest. Um, my earliest Superman film history is a little atrophied. But Kirk Allen was the first Superman. We'll just leave it at that. There's tons of neat footage and pictures of what Kirk Allen looked like as both Clark Kent and Superman. And there's even video clips you can find on YouTube. So, yeah. I've been watching them the whole time. I haven't even been listening to you. Yeah, that's <laughs> about what I expected. So, <laughs> let's move forward to the 50s, shall we? Yes, let's go to the 50s. Now, you the know 50- what we need to go to the 50s, Brian? A time machine? Uh, judges saying to more specificity, please. A flux capacitor time machine? The DeLorean? DeLorean was the correct answer. Well, let's go to a specific date because the Superman TV series came out in 1952 and yeah. lasted until 1958. And, of course, it featured Noel Neal as the original A Lois much Lane. longer run than Batman. It did. Got six on years. television. Well, it was wildly popular. And it was a different audience, too, because... The Adventures of Superman was catered more toward children and the whole family. Yes. Batman was intentionally a tongue-in-cheek version of Batman. This was not tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. This was just very much melodramatic, you know, superhero uh, action. And it was obviously wildly popular. Uh, it featured George Reeves, of course, as Superman. And poor Noel George Neal, Reeves. Poor, well, we'll get to that in a second. Yeah. Um, Noel Neal was the original Lois Lane. Then Phyllis Coates took over. So that's the correction I was going to make. So she started off carrying over from the serials, and then Phyllis Coates took over as Lois Lane later on. And, of course, you also have Jack Larson, who is uh, Jimmy Olsen, and John Hamilton, who was the famous Perry White, right? And Superman, it was very episodic. They were all quick half-hour episodes. Uh, They were eventually colorized. They started off in black and white. Very episodic, very melodramatic. By today's standards, kind of hokey, but there was something still cool about it because George Reeves had a certain charm about him, right? He had a certain calmness. And he was also the first Superman because of Kirk Allen having the animated takeoffs. He would literally jump out a window when it came to um, the flight because they didn't want... He tried doing the wires once because they they originally tried to lift him out the window. And I think he like... I think they just... They couldn't get it to work. It was too clunky. They didn't quite have the rigging system correct. So he just said, screw it. I'm just going to... Here, put a mat on the other side. I'm just, I'm just going to jump out the window. Uh, and it worked. Um, but what you notice, if you look really closely uh, at those, a lot of those episodes, is that he always goes down. He never goes up. So it doesn't yeah, really make sense. Yeah, he just looks sense. like he, he looks like there's just a mattress on the other side of the window and he's about to land on it. Right. So it, it never quite stood to reason that he was really flying, right? Unless he would just no. like dive, curve up, and then fly up. Yeah, so I don't remember how they had him fly, though. Did they show? How did they show him flying? So flying was wires in front of a uh, like a, a simulator screen that would do the, like the, the blurring and everything. It was a very yeah. static shot. It was a profile shot. It was kind of uninteresting by today's standards. I rarely ever saw him carrying anybody because he had a really bad back, so he couldn't really do that. And unfortunately, this is where you start to see the curse of Superman take place. Sean, yes, tell, me, the tell, curse. tell the audience what the curse of Superman is. Well, the inciting incident of the curse of Superman, George Reeves, who played Superman on television, died in a way that is, uh, by a lot of people's standards, unsolved. And I think, Brian, you probably have more details about it than I do, but that's basically where the curse started, is George Reeves' death. And they're not sure if they murdered him. There's a movie that's, I'm not sure if this movie is exactly should be taken as fact, but there was a little movie that I don't think people remember very well. Hollywoodland, um, right? Hollywoodland with Ben Affleck, who played yeah. George Reeves as Superman. And you only really see him in flashbacks, but right. he looked a lot like him. He gained a little bit of weight, so he was like out of shape. Like, yeah, he was a barrel-tested <laughs> Superman. Like Family Guy right. says, out of shape, in shape, man from the 50s. 
Right. Just pull your belt up to your nipples and. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, you're you're half right. The curse does definitely start with Reeves. Some argue it goes back to Kirk Allen too, but it doesn't have anything to do with his death. The death is totally separate from that. The curse was that Reeves felt like he was now being typecast. He couldn't get other parts because he was Superman. And so the curse is when you're that recognizable of a character that no audience will accept you as anything else but that character. That's true. Yeah. So because he wanted Yeah, what's to... what's Toby Maguire been in lately? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so you know, it's it's typecasting to the nth degree, made even worse by the fact that you're playing an American icon. And he tried getting other parts, and he couldn't because he was Superman, and it really depressed him because he liked playing Superman to, for some of it, but a lot of times, eventually, he just grew old with it, and then he finally just kind of accepted it, and then... So I'm right, so I'm right, because nobody would have named this the curse of Superman about George Reeves unless he had died because no one would have cared about his story and his struggle so much if he hadn't have died well, so suddenly. The curse of Superman doesn't really carry on until we start to see George Reeves, or sorry, Christopher Reeve, um, take over because Christopher yeah. Reeve had equally as hard of a time. We'll get in, Yeah, we'll get into that later. Yeah. Um, well, here's the thing, though. In 1958, when George Reeves was suddenly and found dead in his home from a gunshot mm-hmm. wound to the head, originally yeah. dubbed a suicide... Now yeah. we know otherwise. There's evidence, a lot of evidence to support that it was a homicide. The, and there's a lot of evidence to support that, uh, that they've even figured out who did the crime, but that the person's long since deceased, so there's no point in going further with the investigation. Yeah. And Hollywood Man uh, goes into this, and there's a book that it's based off of that goes into all the crime details of it. Uh, unfortunately, I thought it was a great movie. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, that's the nature of Hollywood, right? There's been so many unexplained deaths and murders that have taken place in Hollywood. The LAPD, I'm sure, has a, a whole room devoted to them, to those files. Um, and unfortunately for this, Superman takes a break from live action for a long time, but yeah. instead finds his his way through animation. And yeah. that's when a load of Superman cartoons come out. The Adventures of Superman, again, fe- featuring Bud Collier from Filmation, frequently talked about by Kevin Smith on the Fat Man on Batman podcast. Oh, man, they love Filmation. They do. They love all that. That's a lot of inspiration for a lot of the the artists that he has on that show. Yeah. And plus, you were kind of limitless because you could really see Superman do everything without having to be worrying about special effects because he just just could, right? Yeah. For the longest time, that was the best best representation of Superman and his abilities because it was like the comic books, but it was moving. And since they couldn't do it live action, that was the best of the time. And it's good. It's really good still. It holds up. Yeah, and 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 the elements that don't hold up, they're still charming, right? Yeah, there's still something charming about it. And then, of course, then we get into the infamous Super Friends. That was the next major leap forward for all the major DC uh. characters. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, you know I what? Know. I remember watching it as a kid because they rerun it, and I remember Dad talking about how he watched it when he was a kid. Yeah, and this and is then even now. Now, when you watch it, you're like, "What are they doing?" Why are they doing this? And this is even pre-Wonder Twins uh, Super Friends. This is, we're talking... Wonder Twins. Well, so let's talk about the lineup, right? We got Superman. Sorry. You're not supposed to say it. I'm just going to keep saying it until you get over it. (laughs) Um, The lineup was, let's go through it. Superman, Batman and Robin, Mm -hmm. Wonder Woman, right? First time we see Wonder Woman um, before Linda Carter. Aquaman. No and Green Lantern. No Green. No, they. they no were, Martian Manhunter. Hang, hang on a second. There were Justice League of America adventures for filmation, but they. This is. I still count that as the same kind of generation of Superman. All the filmation stuff had a full DC universe. There was Hawkman at one point. The, the adventures. Oh, I remember. Yeah. So yeah. lots of cool stuff. I, I just love to, to mention that here are the cast of characters. Right. So you had Wendy, and then you had Marvin. Right. And then and then you had Wonder Dog. And that rounded up the whole ensemble. But what I love, my favorite thing, is that Ted Knight was the narrator. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. I know, it's so great. Batman and Robin, you know. Superman. I know, every time I, wa- I, every time I see clips of old Super Friends, I just think of him thinking of him in the middle of a Super Friends episode going, Bye, Bushwood! <laughs> exactly. Caddyshack. Of course, I just hear Ted all Knight Caddyshack from lines. the judge from the original Caddyshack, and of course from the Mary Tyler Moore show, yeah. right? Yes, Mary yeah. Tyler Moore show is really where he became really, really famous as a live-action actor, but he did a lot of voice work before that. Let me ask you, do you know who the voice of Marvin was, Sean? 
No, I don't know who the voice of Marvin was, but I'm sure you're going to tell me. Frank Welker. Do you know who Frank Welker, the voice is Frank Welker's done? I have no done? idea who Frank Welker is. I'm just going to name off some, some characters he's done, okay, from the beginning. I'm just going to preface this. He's done pretty much every major character that there's ever been on cartoons. Like, no joke. He was the original voice of Scooby-Doo and Fred. He was the voice of Garfield. Uh, he did the, the voice characterizations for Curious George and the more recent stuff. Wow. Um, he's subbed for the voice of Mickey Mouse at times. Um, wow. Yeah, he was Oswald the Lucky Rabbit in the Epic Mickey video game that came out recently. He played Batboy. Wow. He's done Batman Brave and the Bold as well. He was Batboy uh, in that more recent generation. And here's the thing I think is even more impressive. He's the fucking voice of Megatron on Transformers. The original Transformers? The original Transformers. Because a Hugo Weaving doesn't now, but the guy before it was way more... Like Dr. Claw almost, right? Yeah. 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 Optimus. Exactly. Frank fucking Welker, dude. Frank fucking Welker. Frank Welker. Was this stupid character. <laughs> in, yeah. I in, hated Marvin. Yeah. Uh, I, that's the, Those three characters that you named, I'm like, ugh, Why? And I don't blame you. I guess they were just like a conduit to children to be like, oh, this is, I'm seeing it through their eyes because they're experiencing it with them. Bingo. Bingo. And and then it was later on that you had the Wonder Twins, Zan and Jaina, from the alien world of uh, Isabeth, um, who, (laughs) because I don't remember what world they're from, but of course they, they have one, the ability who can change into any animal and one who can change into any form of water, right? (laughs) Yeah. Stupidest power ever. Shape oh of ice bucket. What are you going to do with that, Zan? Are you just going to hit them? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I like Family Guy's thing where they form of Jenna's tampon. And then he hops into oh God. Jenna's purse. Now we play the waiting game. <laughs> right. And now we wait. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, so, of course, yeah, Super Friends sucked. Well, the early for Super Friends sucked. I loved Challenge of the Super Friends. Why? Because then you had the Legion of Doom. Yeah, the Legion of Doom. With Lex Luthor, a menagerie of DC villains from all across the board. Scarecrow from was Batman. Biz- Bizarro wasn't in it, was he? Bizarro was not in it. Solomon... Well, Bizarro was in Solomon in some Grundy. circumstances. Bizarro was Solomon in it. Grundy. Yeah. Uh, there was also um, Captain Cold from the Flash universe, Black Manta yep. from Aquaman, uh, yep. Giganta, um, who I think was one of Wonder Woman's adversaries. Yep. Oh, no, no, that was that was uh, Apache. Uh, what was his name? Apache something. Uh, Apache Chief. Apache Chief, exactly. In a chunk. Yeah. And then he would just get huge. Right? In a chunk. Exactly. <laughs> those were great, because those were actually taken. So taking, racist. <laughs> yeah, I know. They were taken just a little bit more seriously than... Yeah. Uh, I would say Super Friends were because Super Friends had some ridiculous concepts. Like there was one time where Mr. Mr. Mixelplick shows up and turns them into uh, characters from Wizard of Oz. I remember, just awful. These were a little oh. more, still a little goofy at times, but mostly still like the Legion of Doom was trying to destroy the Super Friends so therefore they could conquer the world. And yeah, one was a great one where they. Involved- I remember. I vaguely remember these. So Solomon Grundy. Any any episodes of Super Friends with the Legion of Doom wasn't Super Friends. It was Challenge of the Super Friends. Correct. Okay, so those are the ones I actually remember watching with you back when Cartoon Network was young and they showed it yeah. during the day all the, the time. The trouble is that Cartoon Network would actually merge all of them together into one time slot. So sometimes you'd yeah, see I Super know. Friends. Sometimes you'd see Challenge of Super Friends. And sometimes you'd see late Wonder Twins. Super friends. So, and you'd be you, like, ah! Right, yeah. So and there was actually one really interesting episode where they went back and the Legion of Doom trying to prevent each superhero from becoming their powers. So, like, Cheetah ended up going to Paradise Island and defeating Diana in the contest that she got to become Wonder Woman. And she ended up becoming <laughs> Wonder Woman. Um, Lex Luthor came back and prevented Hal Jordan from getting the Aben Sewer's power ring, so he became the Green Lantern. It was like it was a really interesting episode. And eventually everything just righted itself at the end. I can't remember what he did. I think Superman spun around <laughs> the universe or something and then got it all fixed. Because that's what he yeah. always does. Wait. Yep. We've destroyed everything. It's okay. I just need to do 50 laps around the world and everything will be fine again. And Superman was the leader of that of that gang on television. He was uh, yeah. he, In the, all those episodes, he was the leader. He was the main character in a way batman took batman took kind of a back seat they didn't do a lot i mean he was always the folks superman was always the first one to throw the punch the first one to use his laser beams the first one to like fly into somebody 
Right. So Super Friends was on the air from 1973 to 1977, right? Yes. Now, there were later Super Friends animated TV shows. They, they, though they didn't call it the Super Friends, they called it the Super Powers Team. Yeah. Um, but I want to put a pause on that for a second, because now we get to the modern era, if you will, of Superman in film. And why, why is that, Sean? Because that's the year that Richard Donner's Superman movie came out in 1978. Mm-hmm. Such a great movie. Still holds up. God, I love that movie. It's a wonderful movie. Now, so good. Marlon Brando as Jarrell. This movie my had favorite part of the movie. Even though it's got a lot of great stuff, he's just my favorite part. Yeah, I'm gonna do the the uh, the monologue. Don't worry, I'm gonna do it as Marlon Brando. You gonna do it in a second? In a second. Let me let me get to that point. So, son becomes the father. Well, don't steal my thunder, dude. Well, Come on. Becomes the son. <laughs> You're gonna cut that out because. There's only one Brando on this show. Stella! Um, yeah, I mean, this movie was... I know, I'll stop. The the first time where we really got to believe a superhero could really exist, right? Because that was the marketing term for that movie. You'll believe a man can fly. Yes. Brilliantly, they went with an unknown actor. They originally... Do you know who they originally were considering to play Superman? I forget. Tell me. Paul Newman. Uh, Paul Newman would have been Superman. Was very gray-haired Superman. Superman. Yeah, well, this is pre-gray hair. They would have dyed his hair, I think. But you're ex- right. I I'm just going to tell you right now. I would have not enjoyed product placement of salad dressings in the Superman movie. Yeah, I'm sure. The thing is, it goes back to that curse. There's actually a reverse curse. You can't cast a well-known actor as Superman. Why? Because just like we won't accept an actor who has become Superman as anything else, we likewise will also not accept a well-known actor as Superman because we already know him from something else. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Okay. So... Well, you could take it... It doesn't have to be... You could take a well-known actor. He just can't have... Uh, he can't be something iconic. It's like you couldn't take Christian Bale now and then put him as a, another superhero or another... You know, you can't put him in something that's so well-established. Kind of. I would say Christian Bale had definitely done some work and become a respected character actor before he did Batman, right? That's Chris, true. Christopher Reeve had literally only done stage work at this point and maybe a couple of soap opera roles he had not done anything substantial so when he was cast as superman um they were kind of taking a gamble really and he was underweight too that was the funny thing he was kind of scrawny he had to work out like crazy to really get to- yeah, he's in really good shape in that movie too I must yeah have. well you know who trained him who the actor who played darth vader not oh, wow. james earl jones david powder the guy who was the man in the suit yeah. Still, though, nowhere near the crazy workout routines that they make the guys go through in modern superhero movies. Like, I heard something about Chris oh, Hemsworth's sorry. diet and workout regimen for th- just to, for Thor to look like Thor. It's ridiculous. There's another advantage, too. He was a hang glider. He had done hang gliding, so he knew aerodynamics. He knew how to move his body in a way that looked believable. So when they were trying out these new flying effects, um, particularly this is the first time where they're using green screen to simulate flying, he knew how to yeah. get the, the look out. And apparently, going back to the featurette on the DVD, the first scene in the, where you see Superman in costume in the fortress, and he takes off and flies across the chasm the, in the, uh, toward the camera. And apparently, it was the first take. And he jumped initially, then the wires caught him. The air caught him just the right way, and he, the rig flew him off the shot, and they called cut. And there was about a minute of silence. Because it looked so good, it looked so real that the audience, the, the crew there was just stunned at what they had just witnessed. Because to them, the wires were so thin that even they had a hard time seeing them. To them, they just seen Superman fly, for real, for the first time. And there's something to be said about that, because theater and film is all about belief. It's all about trying to create a belief that you think this can happen, even though you know it's totally not possible. You know, you have to willingly suspend your disbelief. And to have it happen live to the people who are witnessing the shot taking place, who know and don't have no reason to believe, to even undergo that convention of willing suspension of disbelief, to have them be stunned is to show just how powerful that moment is in the movie. And it's the first time you see Superman fly in the movie, too. So it, it's really an important part. But this is also the first time in film where they really go into detail about his origin. You know, Mario Puzo wrote the script. Yeah, who, by the way who also wrote the Godfather books mm-hmm. that were before they were turned into movies. Yeah, and his original script for Superman was 500 pages. No I know, joke. it's crazy. And you can find that online. 
Yeah, it's and it's amazing. Yeah, and it's also a little campy too because, but thankfully, yeah, they cut out a lot of campy parts. But it, if you're a Superman fan, just the wealth of it's just so much. Yeah, the sad thing is that he was the only person who got credit for it because and I think I said this in another episode, but Tom Mankiewicz took over. Richard Donner brought him in as a story consultant, and he kind of honed down the story to a more uh, reasonable length. And they agreed that they were going to eventually just do it as two films. So yeah. they already one also one of the first times where you have a movie that was being shot with the full intention of there being a sequel, and they start the sequel right away. And yeah. it, uh, really interesting. And Kevin Smith's episode with uh, Jeff Johns goes into a lot of detail about this too. So if you want to listen to that, let's check out the Fat Man on Batman episode. Yeah, with, that's with the Jeff Fat Man Jones. on Superman episode. <laughs> Pretty much, it's the <laughs> they really the, cover a lot of they cover a lot of DC universe stuff on that show. Yeah, it's very little about Batman now, and more much more about Fat Man on. Well, DCU. it is about Batman, but what they do is they take people that are involved with Batman, and then they tell their story of the, them in the industry and stuff, which is super interesting. Yeah, That's is. what I love about it. So for further listening, folks, check that out. Let's run through the cast for a second, because this was a really stellar cast for this movie. Other than Christopher Reeve, of course you've got Margot Kidder as Lois Lane. Oh, yeah, we do. you got Gene Hackman. who Gene motherfucking Hackman. Who had already done... Who I love the, so dearly. Yeah. Who had already done The French Connection at this point. Was already a well-respected Academy Award-nominated actor, I believe. And then you have Marlon Brando. The powerhouse of acting. The guy who changed film acting forever was cast as Superman's father. Um, amazing. And they also paid him an, an exorbitant amount of money. He, he made... What did they pay him? It was $3.7 million. And Hackman was paid $2 million. Whoa, 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 whoa. Three... Point seven. Three point seven million dollars in nineteen seventy seven. Hold on, I'm on the CPI inflation calculator. Oh you have it? Cool. So how much would that have been today? That would have been fourteen point one million dollars today, which is not that much. Not that much. For an actor, it's damn good. For considering For fifteen minutes of screen time, it's really good. Fifteen minutes of raw film screen time. He was on his camera for like five minutes. I know. Fifteen minutes of actual raw footage. Yeah. Now there is actually in the special edition DVD a whole extended scene where Jarrell gets into an argument with the council on Krypton for uh, trying to get the, the planet evacuated because there's the whole fear that he knows the planet's going to blow up. But you don't see that. You only see in the original film you see the trial of the three characters who, of course, are Zod, Mon, and Ursa who go into the Phantom Zone. Yes. And then you cut to Jarrell putting Kal-el in the. Uh, the, the rocket and that's when he has his famous speech you know all that i have all that i am i give to you my son <laughs> oh my god my strength i can't will become... see your face in the camera so it sounds like marlon brando's ghost is here my strength will become your own you will see my life through your eyes as your life will be seen through mine the son becomes the father and the father the son do you get chills I got chills. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Dude, that was like a transcendental. I feel like I was in a sweat lodge for like five minutes. Or I was on peyote. I felt like I was in Superman. Yeah, and I probably butchered the lines a little bit, but that's okay. So No, you, you did a little bit, but I'll cut it together, right? Amazing movie. Amazing special effects, of course. A famous ending of with him flying around the world. And, of course, spawned the sequel which we knew was eventually going to happen unfortunately though donner could wasn't um richard donner who yeah directed let's the talk movie. about let's talk about the richard donner cut because i'm sure most people haven't even seen or if they're not kind of a nerd don't really know what it is unless you stumbled upon it at target and then as you know googled it on your phone like what is this the donner cut yeah so richard yeah, donner. The donner cut so the, the version that everybody knows that is seen is not been directed by richard donner parts of it were still used i believe right but they Richard Donner, who directed the first one, was supposed to direct the second one, and actually had already been. I mean, by the time Superman came out, they seventy percent, seventy percent of Superman two with Richard Donner as yeah. the director. Here's the funny thing: so the the Salkins, Ilya and Alexander, who had produced the movie, all the Reeves films, didn't want Richard Donner at first. They wanted Richard Lester, who was known at that time for directing the Three Musketeers movie with uh, Michael yeah. York and. Uh, Oliver um, uh, Twist. No, not Oliver Twist. The English actor. You know who I'm talking about. He was in Gladiator. Oh, 
Every English actor is named Oliver. No, Oliver. It's not. Shut up. Oliver. Now just, her now, face. Now you're just being a dick. Okay. So. Oliver. Her face. I think is what. Okay. Anyway, moving on. So they Oliver wh- or no Peter O'Toole? No. 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 Just we'll just let it go, dude. Let it go. We'll we'll figure it out later. So they wanted Lester to direct Superman one, but he couldn't do it. So they said, well, it's okay. We'll get you to do Superman two. We'll get you to finish the movie. And then it gets complicated because Marlon Brando did not want to come back to do reshoots, which is why there's the scenes with his with his mother in the the uh, Fortress of Solitude as opposed to Superman's father. And here's why they had to do all that reshooting in the first place, because of DGA standards. DGA yes. says in order for your film to be given credit to your name, you need to have shot at least, I think, 70% of the movie, I think. Or no, at least 50% of the movie, I think, is what they said. So even if Richard Lester had come back to direct just the pickups for the movie, Richard Donner would have still gotten credit. So they literally had to reshoot all the scenes for Superman 2 again. And a lot of times, he didn't even want to. They're, they're pretty much shot-for-shot remakings of the scenes that they had originally shot. Yeah, but there are subtle differences, and if you watch the Richard Donner cut, you can tell that they're different, especially if you watch Superman 2 a thousand times like we did when we were kids. Right. And Richard Donner didn't get all the scenes he needed, so there were some interesting things, like they used screen tests that they used to cut together one of the scenes in Superman 2, and there's a scene where Lois Lane shoots Superman to find out his identity, his identity yeah. other than him getting burned. Which I thought was much better. Yeah. Now, the plot line it was way Su- more intense. Right. And the plot line for Superman 2 is a, pretty much a direct continuation of Superman 1. Superman 1 establishes Superman being the hero on Earth and his romance with Lois Lane and his purpose, his, his realization of, of there being a destiny that he has to fulfill, right? Superman yeah. 2 is the second act of that where it's pushed into question because he starts to realize that if he loves Lois Lane, he can't still be Superman. And the essential action of that movie is he gives up his powers to be with Lois Lane. Trouble is, he gives up his powers at the worst possible time because why, Sean? Why is that? It's the worst possible time because that's when General Zod escapes from the Phantom Zone and comes to Earth and starts messing shit up. So he has to now manually get his way back to the fortress. And in Superman 1, I can't remember, or sorry, not Superman 1, uh, in the Lester version of Superman, I can't remember how he got his powers back. I just know that he eventually gets into the, the fortress, but then there's just there's this whole scene where he talks out, out there to nobody. And that's all I remember. But in Superman 2, the Donner cut, Jarell comes back in spectral form yes. and is like his last act in his spectral form, like melds with Superman, with Clark Kent, and then gives him back his powers in that, in that way. And then yeah, there's that, which was way cooler. Right. And then eventually they get back to the fortress, and there's the same scene in both movies where Superman is forced to give up his powers by Zod, and he fakes out. Getting, giving, getting his powers taken away, and then he just beats the crap out of the the three Kryptonians. That yeah, famous scene right. where the famous scene where he says kneel, and then he grabs Zod's hand, and Zod's like, oh! and then everyone realizes, oh wait, he didn't lose his powers. One thing that was too, totally ridiculous about that movie in the Lester version is when yeah, he, it's because he they just reversed it. He's like, I reversed it so that everybody in the room lost their powers. Right, and I was safe in the tube. It's like wh- what? Well, no, you just it, switched it. Is there just no, a switch that's like inside well, first all, outside? First of all, if you're gonna main, get, explain exposition, you don't have the hero do it because he doesn't do it. Lex Luthor explains it. He's in the room too. It's like, oh wait, yeah. He well, was, of course, Lex Luthor makes him get in there and and do it, but mira- but somehow never explained. No, the crystal computer. The crystal computer. He knew how to reconfigure the crystals in a way that would reverse the polarity of the machine. So, okay. yeah, so that's how they explain it. Um, All right. But what I thought was really ridiculous was the scene where Superman takes his S and somehow gains a whole I new know. superpower where he throws the S at them. It's and the it, worst thing ever. And they made this, fun of it on, on Family Guy. I lo- they did. But it's so great to watch because it just like he throws. It's this giant silkscreen like S that comes out. Yeah, and, like, he takes like a cellophane S off of his chest, which grows in enormous size and wraps itself around a foe. And stuns And them. then just disappears. Yeah. And like, and then, I mean, think well, it, that stopped you for a little bit, didn't it? 
Yeah, but it didn't really do anything. <laughs> yeah, it didn't really do anything at all. And that's not... Is that only in the Lester version and not in the Donner Cut? That is only in the Lester version. So, yeah, you can pick up the Richard Donner Cut. They had to use some Richard Lester footage begrudgingly because they they didn't... A lot of pieces hadn't been filmed yet when... The, the 30%, basically, that Richard Donner didn't do. Correct. Correct. And, and it's so much better because you get more Brando. You get less ridiculous stuff like the S on his chest. In fact, the whole scenes with Lara... Uh, Superman's mom uh, yep. cut out entirely in the, the Donner version because that was not how it was originally written. I know. Great movie. Also did well at the box office. Not as well as Superman 1, of course, but did enough to, of course, spawn another sequel. We should save that for the next episode. Let's I, talk about everything from there on in the next episode. I agree. This would be a good stopping point. Folks, this we hope you enjoyed the point. first half of the Mobro Soups show. Awesome. Yeah, you like it? Okay. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad because... I made that decision all by myself. <laughs> <laughs> of course you did. Drunk on power. Um, I don't have that in the Yes, you are. Me. You're wearing so, the Superman outfit. Yeah, it does, kind of, it does get to your head. You you are Superman. Yeah. Yes, it does. Thank you for listening to our episode. Of course, if you'd like to listen to more of this, you can subscribe to our podcasts on both iTunes and Stitcher Radio. And please do us a favor. Uh, go to our website, nerdonomy.com, where you can follow us on Twitter, as well as... Send us direct feedback through our feedback button. And please, if you find it in your heart to throw us a little dough, we are a personally funded but hopefully user-supported podcast in the future. We could definitely use the money for an air conditioner in our nerd cave, which gets quite warm when we're recording, or even a dedicated computer. And for booze. And for booze, because we and use for that. Booze. But that's a business expense, because we drink when we, when we podcast. That's but, true. But if you don't feel right giving us booze, then you can say in the memo, not for booze. Seriously, not for booze. And we promise we won't spend it on booze. Scout's honor, I promise you. Psych. We will. That will come out of our own pocket. You can also, of course, follow us on Twitter. And you can follow me on my personal, personal Twitter account at Brian Moriarty. And I'm at Big Sean Mo. That's S-E-A-N-M-O. Right. And my, our company Twitter account is at Nerdonomy. Until then... Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Same nerd time, same nerd channel, nerdonomy.com. Later. And roll credits. And now, famous movie quotes you should not say during sex. You will carry me inside you all the days of your life.